Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us again on this Monday, October 6th, I think, edition of the Rumble Report. My watch serves me correctly. No, it's the 7th. My watch is off by a day. That's very on brand for this podcast. Uh, loaded Monday show. Show's brought to you by LBs. Go see Greg, uh, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Greg's got steaks, sausages, seafood, all kinds of stuff. LBs has the meats. Um, maybe go get some jalapeno poppers or some sides. Not really good grilling weather right now, but it's kind of getting to really prime grilling season with the temperature changing. Uh, so go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Best place to get meat cut in town. Uh, you can get custom cuts, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, not the greatest grilling weather right now, but I'll take the temperature drop despite what it has done to my sinuses. <laughs> yes, I do appreciate it not being 100 degrees in the middle of October. That is, that is very kind of the weather. Yeah, which is fine, but I was I texted you, I think, when I woke up this morning. We had to push it back a little bit. I got up, and my head was all kinds of messed up. My allergies were out of whack, which probably doesn't necessarily have to do as much as the weather as it does probably just whatever they're harvesting or whatever's being grown right now. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I just know I sneeze a lot. But the uh, the rain really screwed with the sinuses this morning. It, the rain had stopped by the time we got into the studio, though, and it's kind of in the 60s. I'll take this temperature. Like, I, I'm... People, oh yeah. People were complaining though about how hot it was. Like still, like it's October and it's eighty five. I'm like, well, in September it was a hundred. So like, I'm I'm cool with it being you know that as opposed to what it was. <laughs> yes, it was hotter than the surface of the sun the first of this month. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll certainly take a little bit of uh, relaxation from the heat. Yeah, so I was traveling most of the month of July around here. Like we had media day, and then I took vacation for a week. But people were saying it was an unusually like tame July. I didn't really know that. Really? Yeah. So are we just paying for it now? Yeah, we're paying for it now. And huh. it'll be a miserable winter. Like miserably cold or miserably hot? No, miserably cold. It'll be it'll be like twenty degrees until March. That's how this works. Yeah, that doesn't sound nice. No. The uh the first uh college baseball game it'll be seventeen degrees. Uh, Richard swears to me that college baseball it's always seventy and sunny the first day, and then after that it gets cold. I don't buy that because I I don't either. Yeah, I've sat through many cold. Uh, Ole Miss played a, the first year I ever cover, covered baseball. I think Ole Miss played William and Mary. Yeah, they wound up playing a doubleheader. I remember this. Yeah, on Saturday, and it was I swear I think it was thirty three with rain. Like, <laughs> no, Mike played a uh, a game. I think it was two thousand fifteen against Wright State. On a Friday when there was literally ice hanging from the state. Oh, I was there for that one too. I I remember that one quite well. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, not exactly not exactly the prize, but anyway, we got all kinds of stuff to get into other than our amateur weather forecasts. Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt thirty-one to six in what was a very strange and rather tumultuous week on campus. We'll get into that some too because I know we recorded the podcast um, before kind of all that went happened yesterday. I covered that. Whatever you want to call you it. You covered what? Uh, the, the circus on Friday. <laughs> I was going to say, nothing happened. My, uh, my girlfriend and I are watching this. Uh, this We watched this political, like, it's like a, it's not a documentary. It's like a weekly, like, behind-the-scenes thing. 
called The Circus that HBO puts out. It's incredibly well done, but they're basically four guys that travel across the country covering presidential races, current events, whatever. It started with the 2017 or 2016 presidential election. Like they had people with, you know, bouncing around to the different campaigns. And they ended up titling it The Circus after Trump won and the way that he won and kind of how crazy the campaign was. And it was so successful because, you know, the thing was so wild, they kept it going. So I, I found that to be a fairly appropriate name for maybe what happened on Friday as well. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah. Anyway, I guess we'll get into the – what do you want, the football game or the the extracurriculars first? Uh, let's start with football uh, just because I think probably people want to reprieve at this point. Yeah, that's probably probably a fair point. So Ole Miss wins 31-6. to They threw fewer passes than Army did on the day. That's facts. Yeah, spot the lie. Um, so Ole Miss wins 31-6. to John Rice Plumley gets the start. I had a, uh, I found a lot, a lot of this about this game interesting because you see, you kind of, I kind of started hearing a morning of that you know they told the team that Plumley was going to start, and then Matt Corral comes out and he's dressed out and he's going through warmups, and I'm thinking, what is what is going on here? Like this is this is a little bit strange. I was being like, I was like, man, if he's healthy, I don't understand what they're doing here. Maybe they'll play both. I don't know. Plumley ends up playing the whole game. Corral's kind of hanging out on the sideline. I couldn't tell what he was doing most of the time. I don't think he was like helping get the calls in, but he was huddled by the offense most of the time with his helmet off. Wasn't really doing a whole lot. Was throwing some on the sideline. But they go with Plumley. Plumley runs, what, 22 times for 165. Ole Miss rushes for 413 yards as a team. Only passes the ball for 99 yards. And they really just topple over Vanderbilt on a day that I think was really could probably be dubbed best by it was a youth movement and it kind of was last week all these kids that are scoring touchdowns for them are 18 years old and it's interesting because not only you're kind of if rich rod sticks around and you know that's a big if i don't really know it's it's too early to figure out what he's going to do after the year it honestly depends on how successful all this is at the end of the year but you're kind of catching a glimpse of not only the present as it's unfolding in front of you but you're also getting a glimpse of the future and what this could look like but the only thing that's very uncertain still, like I thought this was a game where you were going to get quarterback clarity, and you really didn't get the only form of clarity you got there is that you have to use Plumley's feet, and I think they already knew that. Yeah, no, it was it was certainly a youth movement on both sides of the football. Uh, Plumley plays extremely well in the running game. Ole Miss doesn't try, but I think one pass that went farther than 20 yards down the air, but that was probably by design. Look, I think, and, and, and you may disagree, I think Ole Miss and Matt Luke knew what was going to happen on Saturday. I think they knew they were going to run Vanderbilt off the field. Vanderbilt is an atrocious football team. Um, they're not winning a conference game more than likely. They're probably going to go 3-9, and nine, and Derek Mason is probably getting fired. Uh, they play Tennessee, said, man. Go ahead. They do play Tennessee. Yeah, I think Tennessee's better, uh, kind of by a lot. They're certainly more talented. I don't know. I, I kind of just think they knew they were going to win this football game with relative ease, and they kind of maybe held Corral off and let him get you know a week, another week off because, frankly, they didn't need him on Saturday. Uh, I mean, it, it really didn't matter who played quarterback. They could have played any of the four scholarship quarterbacks on Saturday, and I think they probably win the football game. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't know if they. So I guess I kind of buried the lead here. So I went into the game. I went into the. I was going down the field, and I had a, a story written that was good on Ole Miss for taking care of business and kind of you know just rolling straight over a team that they're supposed to beat. 
But Matt Luke took a gamble that I think is going to end up being a foolish one. And the reason I wrote that is because at the time, I didn't really know Corral was like, I didn't know so Matt. Uh, I'll bury the lead here. Matt, at the time, I'm going in there and saying, I can't believe they just went all in on Plumlee. There's really no reason to do that right now. And I don't think you can put the Corral toothpaste back into the bottle. Like, once you bench him, it's over. But then we get into the post game, and Matt Luke says, We didn't think Matt Corral was 100%. He could have thrown the football if we needed him to, but we didn't think he could run the football effectively in the sense that he's got those bruised ribs. We didn't think he could be able to withstand the shots that were going to come with what they wanted to do running the football. And, you know, sometimes I'm a little skeptical of that because of how they've handled this going forward and kind of the secrecy, but I tend to actually believe him for a couple of reasons, they ran Plumlee a lot. They ran straight over Vanderbilt. To your point, I think they think, I think they knew they could do that. And two, Corral's body language wasn't really bad at all on the sidelines. He seemed engaged. He seemed very happy when the team had success. And not that he wouldn't be anyway, but like if you had just got told you lost your starting job and your bench, there's probably just going to be a natural element of glumness, melancholy attitude, whatever you want, even if you're not trying to portray it. And I didn't necessarily sense that from the... And I tried to watch him fairly closely on the sidelines as best I could. And so I tend to believe that. And Matt Luke said he likes the idea of them preparing for both quarterbacks going forward. So I guess two things came out of that. I had to change completely what I was going to write. And two, I don't think we have any quarterback clarity. (laughs) So uh, who's the starting quarterback in Columbia, Missouri on Saturday? Uh, Man, you... Yeah, better you than me. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't. I don't think they know. Uh, but I think they're being genuine with that. I think they. I think they plan. If he's smart, if they're smart, because the smart strategy is to use two. I, I guess we'll cut to the chase here. That current version of what they did against Vanderbilt, it ain't working against good teams. It's not, and, I, and I'm not indicting them for doing it against Vanderbilt, right? Because when you run for four thirteen, you run for four thirteen, like. Like I'm not, I'm not blaming them for doing that. But going forward, if they're going to win a couple of these coin flip or swing games or games where they're probably not favored but have a chance, you're going to have to be more of a threat throwing the football than they were. And I think they know that because I, Matt Luke said after the game, I like the idea of them preparing for two quarterbacks. Rich Rodriguez yeah, said yeah. after the game they have two starting quarterbacks and a third that I have confidence in in Grant Tisdale. I don't think the corral, the corral thing is over. Because, like I said, once it is over, I don't think you're putting that toothpaste back in the bottle. I think if you bench him, he's out. Like, if yeah, that's just yeah. kind of the way it goes. And so th- I, that's why I thought it would have been incredibly foolish to do that. And I was kind of baffled in a sense that I, when I thought they had done that, now it makes a whole lot more sense, and I tend to believe them. Yeah, no. Look, Missouri's the top ten defense in the country right now. Statistically, if you look at any measure, this is the top ten defense. Top 12 rushing defense, too. Yeah, you can't just line up and run the football like you did against Vanderbilt and expect to come away with the, with the win. Now, look, Plumlee didn't throw the ball down the field by design. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying simply they did not do it on Saturday, and they're going to have to be able to stretch this defense in Columbia if they want to win this football game. Um, so can he do that? I don't know. We'll see. But they've got to be able to throw the football down the field with success on Saturday if they're going to come out of there with a win. So I tend to think Matt Corral is the starter if he's healthy. But I thought that last week, too. And, and they said he was healthy, but then he wasn't healthy, so who knows. Um, I don't think Ole Miss – I'll say this. I don't think Ole Miss wins on Saturday if Matt Corral doesn't play. Okay, I'll go – I'll put a little broader veil on that. 
I don't think Ole Miss wins on Saturday just playing John Rice Plumley. Which I guess is two versions of the same thing, but this whole thing has been so crazy. No, I said this whole thing's been so crazy. I just I don't know. What if he's not hurt and then they have to play Tisdale because he's little? Hey, what if he's not healthy and then they have to play Tisdale to throw the ball a little bit? That's all I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. But it's basically uh, basically the same thing. Look, good on him for 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 steamrolling Vanderbilt and basically just being like, ha ha, we don't have to throw. <laughs> but like again, throw for hundred yards. No, but again, that's not like we've said over and over again for the last five minutes. That that current version of that, because I, I tweeted after the game, and it ended up looking kind of foolish, but I don't really care. I was working with the information that I had at the time. Matt Luke took a gamble on John Rice Plumley. Like, will it evolve? And, ha- you know, is it sustainable and will it evolve? Obviously, the first part of that ended up not being true, but there's really no way I could have known at the time. But I still think the second part of how I worded that still holds true. How does this evolve? Because even with two quarterbacks, it has to evolve in some way. Because, again, you, you can't be that one-dimensional. No, no, you're not lining up and running the football 45 times and beating Missouri. I wish they could, but they're not. I mean, it's, you're not going to run for seven or eight yards of carry like they did against Vanderbilt. You're not going to pop 75 and 84-yard touchdowns against Missouri like you did against Vanderbilt. Um, Missouri's a really good football team. I know everybody's going to say, oh, they lost to Wyoming. I don't really care. Past that, they've been really good. Um, so, yeah, I, look, this I mean, I've said this repeatedly, but they've got to be able to stretch the field on Saturday if they want to win a football game. Uh, you know, what they did on on Saturday against Vanderbilt is very good. Um, very, you're not going to play a team that's as bad as Vanderbilt until you play Vanderbilt again next year. So, hey, um, hey, hey, let's, let's give them some respect. They do have New Mexico State on the schedule. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, you're not going to play an SEC team as bad as Vanderbilt until you play Vanderbilt again. Um, and. Vanderbilt's good God. I guess we but, could get into that for a second because that intrigues me. But finish your thought. Go ahead. No, I was just I mean, you've got to be able to throw the football down the field if you're gonna win. Um that that's it's as simple as that. I don't think I don't think anybody can win in this league consistently with with without the ability to press the press the ball down the field. Yeah, I agree. And why is Vanderbilt so bad? I think their offensive line is bad. That quarterback's incapable, but it's interesting to me. I think it's probably twofold from the Vanderbilt side. Is they're not as good defensively as they're kind of your like your typical Vanderbilt defense has a really good linebacker or two, fairly yep. stout enough up front, and they're very disciplined and they don't give up penalties and they're pretty good against the run. That's kind of your you know cookie cutter Vanderbilt defense. They don't have that this year. And then on the offensive side of the football. They have an NFL running back, an NFL tight end, and an NFL wide receiver, and it's just not working. Yeah, I don't know. They suck, though. Like, they can't – well, I tell you what got a beat on offense on Saturday. They could not block Benito Jones. They doubled, tripled the man, and they could not block him. Um, and his stat line may not show it, although I think he had a pretty decent stat line. But uh, their inability to block him freed up other people, and they made plays. Um, they, they're not very good on the offensive line. The quarterback – Okay, I don't. I don't necessarily think he's horrible. I don't think he's great though. Um, and for some reason, they cannot get the ball to anybody except Kevon Allen. What's his, what's the kid's name? Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn. The, yeah, Allen's a kid who played basketball in Florida. Um, but they've got NFL players over there, but they can't get them the football besides the running back. Yeah, they have. And Ole Miss has been good enough against the run, like. Vaughn is not your typical bruising Vanderbilt running back. He's kind of a home run hitter, 
And I thought even, and this is weird to say about an Ole Miss defense, but I thought Ole Miss defense was good enough against the run the last month of the season to where Vaughn wasn't going to beat them by themselves. So unless they looked make Riley Neal look like Chase Garbers, which is a line I said over and over again last week, I didn't think Vanderbilt was good enough offensively to beat Ole Miss. And I guess a credit to the secondary, they didn't do that. Yeah, well, a lot of that, though, was they got heat on on Neal all night. No, they, they did, but I think it works two, two ways. Do what? No, they did. I did. I think it works two ways. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's fair, but they were in Neal's lap all night long. I kind of started to feel bad for the kids. Yep, Neal goes 18-30 for 140, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Ole Miss sacked him three times. I mean, that's kind of... That'll get the job done if you're Ole Miss. Yeah, like what did what did they didn't they didn't get 300 yards total, did they? They ended the get they finished the game with I've got it right here in front of me 264. So no 202 passing yards and 62 rushing yards. So I didn't I guess by the end of the game that Deuce Wallace kid came in. Yeah, he did. Seven to sixteen for 62. So overall, pretty good against the. Pretty good against the pass. Again, a lot of that is just kind of Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, Elijah Limsom, seven catches for 69 yards. Fairly nice game there. Um, that could, you know, the Pinkney, he was mad he didn't get the ball last week, the tight end, and he had one catch for seven yards. So I can't imagine he's too much happier. I mean, he's going to transfer. Jesus. I think he's just going pro. I think he's a senior. I'd probably do that too if they couldn't throw me the football and I was the, and I was the NFL tight end. Good God. Yeah, I know. So... I guess transitioning, we'll go back to the offensive side a little bit later. The defensive side, as you mentioned, Benito Jones is kind of quietly, which is really his mantra, putting together a super productive season. Uh, He is a problem inside for the interior of opposing offensive lines. He regularly gets penetration. He was everywhere on on Saturday night. To your point, he was a big reason why they were so good against the run. I think Vanderbilt averaged like 2.4 yards per rush. Keyshawn Vaughn, who is a really good SEC running back, 18, catch, 18 touches for 69 yards. They kept him bottled up there. Vanderbilt averaged 2.3 yards per rush. Some of that's a little skewed because Deuce Wallace and uh, Riley Neal got sacked a couple of times. But still, that's I mean that's under three yards of rush. Yeah, yeah. They, they were not able to run the football. And because of that, there wasn't much much they could do in the passing game. I can't remember a long passing play that Vanderbilt had. I mean, their two field goal drives were kind of aided by penalties, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, I mean, the defensive line played extremely well. Lakia Henry's playing out of his mind right now. I think Ole Miss has got a, got a pretty good linebacker in him. Um, so, it, it was it was an all-around good performance. Now, the, the key is going to be, can they duplicate that when they go to Columbia this weekend? Because you're going to face a lot tougher tests and a lot better quarterback uh, when Kelly Bryant plays. Yeah, so you hit it on there a little bit. I wrote about this yesterday. Lakia Henry has been as good as advertised through what, however many games this role is. I guess we're at the halfway point of the season. Through the halfway, yeah. halfway point of his first season, he has been every bit as good as advertised. And, you know, you figure this was going to be the case when he, when Mohamed Sanogo went down, but Lakia Henry's kind of become the Sanogo in the sense that he rarely leaves the field. I mean, there they go times like Ashanti Sistrunk got some snaps on Saturday, which I thought was surprising. They'll go Hibbler at times, but really it's three guys rotating on the other side, some too, with Lakia Henry rarely leaving the field other than briefly to get a blow. But between he and Jacquez Jones, they combined for 24 tackles. Lakia Henry had 15, Jacquez Jones had nine. Henry with five solos, a sack, and a tackle for loss. He had a QB hurry. Jacquez Jones had two solo tackles, 
a half tackle for a loss and nine total tackles, as I said, and uh, a pass breakup. Those two have played really, really well, and you don't really replace Mohamed Sanogo. Like, Ole Miss still surely misses him, but they've really done a pretty good job of mitigating the effects of his absence. Like, that's a pretty large void to fill, and it hasn't been just a gaping void where, you know, you're looking up at the end of a game and you're trying to point, you know, you're trying to place the blame as to why Ole Miss struggled so badly against the run, and it's probably because Sonogo's not there. That hasn't really happened in a game yet. No, that's certainly fair. Um, there's, there's no gaping. Like, look, the secondary is not where it needs to be. But there, you look at the defense compared, obviously, to 17 and 18, and there's no unit that just you look out there and, and you're like, oh, that's why Ole Miss is losing football games, like you said. Um, I think secondary is getting better each week. I think this team overall is getting better each week because, like, the offensive line played extremely well on Saturday. Um, and, and they played well, with, to me, against Alabama. So I think it, I think that's a, the, a market improvement. I think that's a feather in Matt Luke's cap, frankly. Uh, this team is getting better pretty much at every position um, throughout the course of this year. Now, look, it's got a result in win. I don't think you're going to get any portion of this fan base back by only beating New Mexico State on the, on, during the rest of the season. But I do think this football team as a whole is just getting better and better each week. Yeah, and it's really underscoring the idea of what Ole Miss, like how unlucky in some senses Ole Miss got. I say unlucky. you got to play who you got to play. But Ole Miss got a little unlucky in the sense that two of their kind of coin flip swing games to get to bowl eligibility came in the month of September when you're breaking in an entirely new offense a new defensive coordinator, a redshirt freshman quarterback, a bunch of 18- and 19-year-olds, skill position players, a fairly new offensive line. Like, there was so much new to this team, they kind of needed the two-week tune-up period where you kind of, you know, kick the hell out of a couple teams then play your first-year opponent. They didn't have that. And so, yeah, they're really – they are – you can tell they are improving as a football team. It's just still a long, hard road back to getting to in that six-win conversation because their two toughest tests in the first month of the season, they didn't pass them. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, what, that's what's fascinating going forward. Look, is there still a pass to six wins? Yeah, I think there is. I don't know if I necessarily think it's realistic. Um, but it starts this weekend, and it, it continues the next weekend when Texas A&M rolls down. Frankly, you, you don't split these two games, there's no pass. Because uh, you're not beating Auburn, you're not beating LSU, in my opinion. So, They've got to figure out a way to go one and one over these next two, and I think I think if they were to win this Saturday, and look, I'm not projecting that at all, but I do think if they win on Saturday, you could see a pretty intimidating ball Hemingway uh, when Texas A&M rolls in here the next weekend. Sure, because a win at Missouri is the kind of win that moves the needle for folks and kind of gives them a reason, like okay, maybe there is some momentum here to buy back in. Because to your, I guess back to your point of them improving on the offensive side of the football. Like, look at what happened with the running backs on on Saturday. I mean, you had 18-year-old Jerry and Ely hit a home run. And then the next drive, you know, 18, 19, however old Snoop Connor is, another true freshman, you know, kind of one-ups him with an 84-yard run. And then you've still got Scotty Phillips kind of carrying the bulk of the load. you got an 18-year-old playing quarterback. There's a really solid offensive foundation here. You're getting Jalen Cunningham more snaps the offensive line. The offensive line hasn't gotten a ton of credit the last couple of weeks, but they've improved dramatically because after the first game, you're sitting there thinking, holy cow, how is this team going to score any points if they can't block the people in front of them? And that was a very legitimate concern after Memphis, but the offensive line has played much better, and I think that's why they have had so much success running the football because as fast and athletic as Plumlee is and as diverse of an offensive backfield that Ole Miss has, if those dudes can't block, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, 
So, that, that, yeah, I mean, you're not running the football like they did on Saturday if the offensive line's not playing well. And, and they certainly play well on Saturday. Uh, the, the test will be this Saturday. How do you respond on the road? Look, I think, I think, like I said, I think they played well at Alabama. Uh, they were horrific at Memphis. So let, let's see how they respond on the road in a pretty hostile environment in a game Missouri that needs to win. Uh, and Ole Miss needs to win too. Let's see how they perform in that scenario. And uh, if, if they continue to play, you know, better and better than they do every week, um, I think that's certainly a good sign going forward. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. So th- it kind of becomes a really interesting game this week because conversely, and we'll get into Missouri a little bit later in the week. We don't have to go too far into it today. But Missouri loses, I mean, not loses, Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant gets injured, doesn't return to the game. Um, I saw a report last night that he will be a full participant in practice this week. So it sounds like they avoided a scare there. But, I mean, I, I, th- I still think that's a winnable game for Ole Miss. But Missouri, like you mentioned, is a very good defense. So, I don't know. The path to six wins for them doesn't look as daunting as it did a couple weeks ago after the Cal loss. Because, as we mentioned, A&M looks very average. Mississippi State looks very average. I, Missouri looks very beatable. I don't think they're going to beat Auburn. They don't really stand a chance against LSU, but I just don't really know what to make of Auburn. The issue with Ole Miss with Auburn is Auburn's going to be able to neutralize that run game pretty good. Yeah, that's that's going to be the problem. Is, but I, I mean, look, you're on the road in Jordan Hare. Um, how are you going to be able to block that, that defensive line? Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that happens. And look, everybody's going to talk. You know, maybe going into that game. Oh, Bo Nick, you know, struggled at Florida. I look, he was a freshman. He had one bad game. Um, I still think Auburn's really good. Yeah, Auburn is really good. I mean, you're going to lose some games when you have an 18-year-old quarterback because of that. And I didn't watch every bit of that game, but the defense played well enough for them to win aside from giving up two really just back-breaking huge plays. But you're going to lose games because when you're 18, you have an 18-year-old quarterback. I mean, he throws an interception in the end zone, made a couple really poor decisions. Anyway, so it's an interesting time for Ole Miss at the halfway point of the season because they're three and three at this point. And last year at the halfway point, they were four and two, got to five and two, and then lost their last five games. So they went one and five in the back half of the season. That's not really comparable because the schedules were different. You know, different team, blah blah blah. But it is interesting. They're sitting at three and three at the halfway point, and they're not in an awful position. But again. As we keep talking about, Matt Luke has got to get a quote-unquote signature win or a, a kind of program-building win, and that comes against a Missouri or that comes against a Texas A&M. Like, as good as this past weekend was for Ole Miss, that doesn't really move the needle. You're supposed to beat those types of teams. And so at, they're improving. They're kind of hitting their stride. I will be interested to see how this evolves, though, because what do they look like when you get Corral back in the mix? Because I think he has to play. I don't think you can be that one-dimensional. I think he has to play. I think you find a package of plays for Plumlee. I don't really know what that looks like, but if they can weave that, if they can find some way to intertwine those two in a fairly balanced manner, that becomes a pretty dangerous offense. Yeah, no, it's certainly fair. Um Look, the, the, the old cliche is you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I don't necessarily buy that. Um, I think you can do something along the lines of playing 175%, 125% and be successful. I think you need to have a clear indicator of who your starting quarterback and who your quarterback is when you're down four points with two and a half minutes. Uh, I think that person needs to be obvious. But I do think there is a, a package in a, in a uh, setting where both guys can be successful and, and have success within this offense. Uh, playing them, playing them both a decent amount. Yeah, so you bring up the two quarterbacks thing. I was talking about this a little bit on Saturday night, and 
yeah, what you're saying most of the time is true. Like when you have two quarterbacks, it it it, it doesn't always work out well for teams. I would say it kind of rarely works out well. But there's a difference between having two guys and you're playing both of them because you don't know which one to go with and you don't know which one to trust versus playing two guys that offer two distinctly different things. I mean, you're playing John Rice Plumley because he is a dynamic runner of the football. I mean, he is his speed is legit. His speed jars, you know, even really the toughest of defenses. I think you saw that against Alabama. It kind of surprised them. Like, whoa, this kid can really run. Whereas he doesn't really throw the football very well. There's a lot to be developed there as far as him in the passing game. And as I kind of reverted back to last week, you know, kid's a great athlete, but there also is a reason other teams were recruiting him as a safety and as a slot receiver or whatever other places we're recruiting him as. But I think it's a little bit different with the two-quarterback thing when you have two guys that offer something distinctly different. You're playing Matt Corral, and he's a willing runner, so you still kind of have to be able to to be able to kind of – you have to be on alert if you're an opposing defense for Corral to run the ball when he's healthy. But he throws it much better, and then, of course, you have Plumlee's feet. So I think it can work more naturally and has a better chance to work when you have two quarterbacks that offer two different things like these two do. Yeah, that, that, that's certainly – see, that's the difference with the, the, the two quarterbacks. You'll have one thing. It's, it's two distinctly different offenses, frankly, uh, with, with Matt Corral at quarterback. And like you said, he's not incapable of running the football. Uh, he's a pretty good athlete, to be frank. Um, but, you know, John Rice only has a lead-level speed for a uh, quarterback. It, uh, I'm sure Ole Miss, and if, if they had their brothers, uh, Plumley would be able to throw the ball with great consistency because, man, if, if he's able to throw the ball well, and maybe he is over his next two or three years as, as the quarterback, uh, maybe he can improve on that. But if he's able to throw the football well and, and good enough for Ole Miss to win football games, man, you, you, you'd have something special there because he's really tough to contain in the running game. Yeah, he is. He is a uh... – it, it, I mean, it, it's. I mean, it, it, you rarely see a quarterback with that type of speed. I mean, I get you. I say rare. You rarely see that with the kind of the dynamic backfield they have to go with it. And he's enough of a running threat to where it's not like a wildcat thing or passing no. threat. Excuse me, it's not totally a wildcat thing. So even when he's in the game, like he can complete an intermediate pass or even hit the occasional deep ball. Like he can throw. He's just not consistent enough to be an every down quarterback right now because of the way he throws the football. So. They're close to kind of finding something here offensively. And one of the last notes I wanted to hit on defensive-wise, defensively, I don't know. I asked Mike McIntyre this after the game, and I didn't really get a clear answer. I don't know if Ole Miss started three freshmen in the secondary, but two plays into the game, Ole Miss had three freshmen on the field in DeAndre Prince, A.J. Finley, and Jay Stanley. So, yeah, yeah, there's a youth movement in that secondary. Yeah, the secondary's gotten younger, and you thought it was going to be more so kind of a veteran group with Julius and Jones, and Keith and Smith's not a veteran but played a ton as a freshman last year, but it's kind of on the young guys, and they're learning, and I think Mike McIntyre, like I mentioned last week, isn't hesitant to play them because I think he kind of likes the potential he has in those, and I think he just kind of wants wants them, it's kind of trial by fire or whatever you want to call it. He just kind of wants them to take their lumps and, and learn learn through their mistakes and as they continue that's going to be the key with the secondary because they've been you know they've shown barring a, a rash of injuries down this back half of the season they're fairly capable defense against the run they've just got to get better in the passing game because if teams carve them up Kelly Bryant carves them up Kellen Mond carves them up whoever else you face down the stretch like that's going to be kind of this team's downfall but if they can be formidable or be just good enough in the back end of that secondary they're going to stay in some games because of their defense and 
I think for the first couple weeks of the season, maybe the defensive improvement was you kind of thought, well, let's just wait and see because they haven't faced a good offense. And other than Alabama, they still really haven't. But you can kind of see the improvement there. I think the, the numbers against the run are becoming more and more legitimate. And if they can get a little bit better against the pass, they'll have something there. So as you, as you kind of mentioned, this team is improving, and I think you can see that. But does it translate to wins because the schedule stiffens up big time? Yeah, that's that's the the kicker going forward. I, it, all right, gun to your head. Does Ole Miss go zero and three versus Missouri, A and M, and Mississippi State? Yes, no. I think gun to my head right now. I'd lean no. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't know which one it is, but I think they get at least one. And part of that's because you get the bye week before State. Look, you know, we talked about we we sat here and said I don't know if you can win football games with this, with this rushing offense and. And that type thing. I'm going to amend that a little bit. Mississippi State is absolutely atrocious against the run. I'm curious if that offense would work in Starville on Thanksgiving. You know that what that would look like if it did. It would look like the. It looked like 2009. Oh, I was going to say the 2016 Egg Bowl. Oh yeah, yeah, Remember? that too. It's the same thing. Yeah, no, it is. Remember, where both teams were five and seven. Ole Miss was like a ten point favorite to start that week in the game, and you're kind of thinking, how is this going to go? Because like State had really struggled. Like State was like one and four, I think, at some point or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of went back to fight. You know, got back to it. Like kind of found it a little bit at the end of the year, and then Fitzgerald just torched what was a horrible run defense that had kind of given up at that point. Of course, that ends up being Hugh Freeze's last game. If State kind of keeps up on the track they're on defensively, that has a similar feeling. I'm not by any means predicting right now Ole Miss is going to go in and stomp State and Starkville on the road and all that. I'm just saying those these two teams are on similar trajectories, just the roles are a little bit reversed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if Mississippi State can't stop the run uh, by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, and look, Willie Gay and, and Lee Autry are going to play for Mississippi State on Thanksgiving. Book that one. So they're going to be better than what they are season statistics-wise. But I'm interested to see how that that plays out on Thanksgiving. Because if Ole Miss can run the football with Plumlee consistently, uh, I think they got a really good chance to put up some pretty good numbers over there in Davis Wade. Yeah, and then A&M to me, like, like they're going in for Ole Miss against this week against Missouri, like I don't think they're going to win the game. But if they have some early success offensively, and Kelly Bryant's not just really torching them through the air. Like I think they can hang around and give themselves a chance in the fourth quarter. A and M's the one wild card. I really have no idea. Like I, I don't even have like a mental picture of how I Who see they that going. Let's see. Uh, I think it's Alabama, right? Godspeed. Yeah, I think that's the CBS game. I am okay. If they play Alabama, I am projecting Ole Miss to win the football game next week. I, I'm just gonna do that because they're gonna be beat to hell. Ole Miss gets LSU and A&M after they play Alabama. LSU probably doesn't really matter. Yeah, they don't have the horses to beat LSU. But no, I, I agree. I, don't, I mean, so I, I just, but I just. Out yeah, of they those, get Alabama. Out of those three games, I was kind of pointing out. I just don't really know with A&M. Like, I, there's such a. I, I don't under. I will just put it this way. This is a very bad phrasing, but I just don't understand A&M. I don't get what they are. <laughs> they're a team with a lot of sophomores and juniors where you think they're really going to kind of take off next year, but then they play games like they played against Arkansas, and you're like, are they really, or are they just not that good? I don't understand it. Mon seems to have – I don't know if it's a regression, because if you'll remember last year when Ole Miss went and played at A&M, Mon was close to getting pulled in that game. Yep. And then he played a pretty good second half and really took off. from. That was a big moment in that kid's development and that kid's career 
where he was kind of at a crossroads when he entered that Ole Miss game. You know, had a really bad first half, wasn't doing well early in the third quarter, and then really kind of took off. So is it really a regression, or is this who he is? I don't know. Yeah, I, we'll see. Um, he's not played well this, this year. Um, so it's, that's going to be interesting on Saturday. Look, I'm going to say something that might not be very popular. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is an elite football coach. They count his records without uh, Jameis Winston. Look, those count. I get it. But when you're coaching a team where you're not overly talented at quarterback, that kind of tells you what kind of coach you are. And he's not overly talented right now, and they're going to go 7-5. and five. Um, Kevin Sumlin got fired for going 7-5 and five and 8-4. So it's a real interesting dynamic over there at A&M right now. Hey, but Kevin Sumlin wasn't paid that amount of money to go 7-5. and five. No, that's, that's fact. He was hey, pa- it's almost he- like Kevin Sumlin's not a terrible football coach. He takes a lot of crap, and and I and sometimes they're not very well coached at times. But the guy does win football games. Look, to me, someone at the end kind of stalled out. And I don't know if he got lazy is the right thing to call it. But it just they, that those last couple Sumlin teams just seemed very soft and very mentally weak. I mean, I'm thinking the Shea Patterson game in 16, and even somewhat that team that won in Oxford in 17. Like they just, I, I don't know what it was, but his teams the last couple uh, last couple of teams he had before he got fired just seemed sort of soft. And I don't really know. Like I hate labeling that because that's kind of the hot take sports culture, or just like you don't really know what you mean by it, but you don't like what you see. But there's just something off with those last couple of teams he ran out there. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree, but what I'm getting at is he went seven and five and eight and four every year at Texas A&M. Like, what is what is your realistic expectation to Texas A&M? Because there's no history of sustained success to say that you're a better program than that. Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. I just kind of got lost down the rabbit hole of how, what exactly did happen with someone there. But, well, what killed someone to me was he didn't get more out of Johnny Football. Yeah, that second year. Because that yeah, first that, year, that I don't year think they knew what they had. Johnny Football is not a great look. Yeah, and then that kind of, I mean, he could have come back but didn't and all of that mess. But anyway, so a couple, Ole Miss is really at an interesting point in their season. And I think if you're someone who's kind of teetering on the fence as to whether to buy back in or buy because that's always interesting to me covering this team is gauging the temperature of the fan base on an almost week-to-week basis because of who's their head coach because of how he became the head coach because of everything else going on around it um so it's always interesting to me to gauge what they do on the field and how that affects the temperature of a very volatile fan base that was kind of on the brink of checking out and is still kind of there so they're at an interesting point. So, like, it's a good thing that Ole Miss is still interesting at this point in the season, and it's not just, okay, we know where this is headed and that they're going to suck. And at the same time, there still needs to be some results down the back half. So I'm kind of fascinated how I watch this plays out. I guess what I'm saying is I got really bored covering two Phil Longo offenses and two Wesley McGriff defenses. This team doesn't bore me. No, it is, it is certainly not boring, um, to put it lightly. So, uh, going forward, it's a big week for Ole Miss. You get a win on Saturday in, in Missouri, and A&M comes in after playing Alabama, you got a shot to really sell your program at that point. So, uh, it's going to be an interesting week. Are you, I assume you're going to Missouri. Are you leaving Friday, or how does that work? I will leave Friday morning. So, there's really no good way to get to Missouri. Nobody cares about this, but, like, Flying into Columbia is stupidly expensive. They cancel flights because it's a tiny airport and, you know, volatile weather and all that stuff. They cancel flights very early. 
and it only saves like two hours once you get done. Or you fly into Kansas City or St. Louis and rent a car. So I'm just driving. I'm staying in Jefferson City. There's no hotels in Columbia. So I'd make the six-and-a-half-hour drive to Jefferson City then kill the last hour 20 on Saturday morning. Okay. So I don't think it's like a – is it a huge city? I don't I don't know. I've never been. Uh, I don't know what size it is, but it's a pain in the ass to get to. <laughs> so I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know anything about Como. I won't, I guess, spend very much time there since I'm staying in Jefferson City. It had the Oxford vibe as far as hotel rooms are because I checked for a holiday inn. It was like, oh, that'll be 485 bucks a night. And I was like, no, no thanks. Um, not going to fly with the boss. At a holiday inn, much less. So anyway, I, I don't Wait, know. Are you like a uh, holiday inn like, rewards club member at this point? I've gotten Marriott points and stuff like that. My mom helped me set them up, to be honest, because I'm just kind of a large adult child. So I don't really know how all that works, but I am getting the points. I don't. I, I you've think got, you've got free nights for a vacation now, Rip. I might have to look into that. That would be that would be kind of nice. I think I've stayed in enough to at least gun or something. I think. Um. So. Anyway, I uh, kind of transitioning forward. I will be in Columbia. Uh, we'll have coverage all week. Super Talk that FM. All that. We'll still do Mailback Friday. I don't really know where I'll be doing Mailback Friday from, but we'll we'll figure that out. So Your car more than likely, it sounds like. Yeah, or we may go Thursday night. I don't really know. We'll figure that out. But, yes, I will be in Columbia for that game on Saturday, and that will kind of check another one off the – it's not really a bucket list because I don't really get jacked up about going to Como, but, like, that's another SEC town I haven't been to and will go to for the first time. So it should be interesting. What all, what all football stadiums are you lacking in the league? You got the West out, right, surely? Yeah, no, Knoxville, Como – the swamp? You've been to the swamp? No, I've not been. I've been to Gainesville, but not to the swamp. I've been to Knoxville, but not to the game. I really wish I wouldn't have. Yeah, that was a tough game. That was a tough game for Ole Miss. That that didn't go well for them. Um, That, uh, yeah, so I've got got Tennessee, Florida, actually really the entire East. The only East stadium I have gone to are Vanderbilt and South Carolina. You go to Kentucky, right? Oh, yeah, Kentucky. Vanderbilt, South Carolina. No, no. That's what I meant. Vanderbilt and Kentucky. I haven't done any others. Okay, okay. So you got you got five more to go. Yeah, been to all of those cities. It's, Como's the only town I haven't been to. You've been to oh, you went for. I was wondering when you went to Columbia, South Carolina. It seemed random, but basketball. Yeah, basketball. I've done Gainesville for nothing sports related, and then Knoxville for basketball once. So, um. Anyway, transitioning out, do you want to get in? Let's just hit a little bit on the stuff on Friday. Um, sure. <laughs> I, what an embarrassment. Okay. I, we're off to a rousing start. Go ahead. I mean, I just I don't really have much of an opinion, but how do you not know that's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Are, are, <laughs> are you that tone deaf? Yes, they are. I guess they think everybody is stupid. Yes, they do. I mean, good God. It was obvious what was going to happen, and then it happened. Uh, I mean, smart people can be some of the dumbest human beings on the planet. Fair enough. I mean, it's just that everyone knew what was going to happen. It was going to happen, and then, then it happened. It, and they acted all shocked and surprised that, nobody, that everybody was pissed off. Like, you have social media, bro? Yeah, so I was there covering it. I say I say covering it. I like Super Talk wanted some stuff from it, and I they didn't really have like they didn't ask me to go. I, I just assume it was part of my job. One, but there was a personal side to it too, in the sense where I just kind of wanted to see what this was going to be like. 
I kind of had an idea. I could have told you. Yeah, no, I know, but I just kind of want to see it unfold for myself, just really out of curiosity and following the story. And I get in there, and I'll just I I I I, I had a couple people ask me about this on Friday night, you know, over drinks or whatever, just really out of curiosity. So I guess I'll just kind of set it from my vantage point. So I get in that room, and it's a crowded room. You know, did you get like a seat because you were media, or did you get a seat because you were there in time? So I walked in not knowing what the hell was going on. To be right, completely what honest, that is like, did they have a media section for you guys? Yeah, they did, but I didn't see it. Like, so okay. basically, what happened was there's it there's, there was apparently a media row of seating that was just the back left row of the rows of chairs they had that split the, like split an aisle like was split by an aisleway. Yeah. And I didn't get there in time to get a seat. I didn't even know that that was a thing until after, until I look over about halfway through the thing and I see Chase, Neil, Ben, Jake Thompson, um, Adam show and like three other guys just kind of waving at me. And I was like, oh, that's where everybody's supposed to be. I was on the other <laughs> side of the room. But so I didn't really know. But anyway, I wasn't, I, I couldn't have gotten a seat anyway. So I'm on the back right and the room gets crowded and crowded. There's a lot of elderly ish people sitting down in the chairs on the front couple rows. And then they let a, set amount of protesters in. I don't really know how they went about doing that, but I would say a group of 20 to 25 protesters were let in. They filed into the front of the room, which is a one, I think it's a horrible idea. I don't I'm not I'm not against people exercising the right to protest. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm going down that road by any stretch. I I'm not. But they put the protesters at the front of the room basically creating a semi U-shaped figure around the lecture and around like where the guy was going to speak like why not put them off to the side or at the back of the room and i'm not necessarily say hiding them why have them that close to the speaker i guess is what i'm saying that seems like a very poor planning so yeah well i mean this, this didn't seem very well thought out uh oh it wasn't again because you had to to your point what did you think was going to happen like you had to know this was going to happen and so anyway so that so like they they follow them in they start doing chants some of the older people in the front kind of start poking fun at them well, one guy <laughs> I kind of found this funny one guy like some of the pro like some of the the the, the olderish people kind of sitting up front were irritated I guess by the protesters and the chants and stuff and then one of the protesters goes you must be the same people that hired Jeff Vitter and support <laughs> Matt Luke how's that going and then it just got hostile so anyway. Then Fort, yeah, and then so then what's interesting? I don't know if the doors got there was uh, tons more protesters that filled in in the hallways, and you can hear them screaming, "Let's open the doors, open the doors!" All that stuff. Like, even if you did open the doors, you, you can't fit any more people in there. It's getting very warm. It's very crowded. So they're chanting, and then the one of the doors kind of slips open for a second. I don't know if they pushed their way in or if one of the UPD people opened it by accident. But three or four more protesters like slipped in the room and kind of. Like kind of skirted up to the front, and I say that because one of them that skirted up in the front afterwards, like af like during that, was one of the ones that got kicked out. And so Ford Die comes out, and he kind of starts a ceremony, and he gets probably three words in, half a sentence, I would say, before one of the, one of the young ladies stands up and starts, you know, yelling her displeasures. And Ford Die was like, you know, if you're, you know, let's be, let's respect the process, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> Let's respect this thing. Like, we need to have this. If you're not going to be quiet, we're going to have to ask you to leave. She yells again. Then she gets picked up and carried out and knocks over the background drop in the process. And then another guy gets kicked out, but he went a little easier. And then things really just went haywire after that. Then Ford Die kind of disappears. They go back in the back room. 
I would say about 10 minutes go by and then a UPD officer is like, yeah, this isn't happening today. What a bunch of cows. So then they send out a press release officially announcing boys via a press release and an email, then set up a conference call with the media that the conference call was at about 2.30. And i got to be honest with you, that was one of the strangest calls I've ever sat in on. He was asked about giving the 87 he said i don't know how much they paid me it was roughly eighty seven thousand dollars yeah he didn't know and then he had an exact figure yeah i thought that was interesting then he was asked he was going to give it back and he said no i don't think so i was paid to do a job and i did it and then he got pressed on it again and said why wouldn't you give it back it's as merely goodwill if nothing else and glenn boyce said you know you've given me something to think about i'll consider it so he walked yeah, that, that's code for quit asking well so I had someone be like, he probably didn't know that question was coming. He's like, how do you not know that question's coming? How do you coming? not know that? Yeah. I, like, how do you not know that question's coming? Like, I any, like I could have told you that's going to be one of the first ones asked. So are, I, I stand by. Smart people are some of the dumbest people on the planet. I, I mean, good God. How did you not know there was going to be a protest when the student newspaper literally posts, there's going to be a protest? Yeah. So, that happens. That, that press conference, too, over the phone was one of the strangest things I have ever listened to. Yeah, so I posted the call afterward, and it was just odd. I mean, I, I don't... It does not sound like... It does not exude confidence. I'll just put it that way. Well, I mean, to be completely honest, he came off as a little condescending. And I don't know if that was a... I don't know if that... They definitely... He and Ford die both. They were both sitting on the call. They both came off as tone deaf, to say the very least. Like, they're basically... like I I say this, and I I almost don't blame them in the sense for the call being weird. Because you're selling a bag of crap. And so the only way to sell that is to treat us all like we're stupid. Because that's the only way to sell something that they both know and well is not true. And they know that we know it's not true. So the only way to really speak is like you're talking to a bunch of idiots. Is that really the only way to sell it? Said that they went through this process and that boys had the most nominations of all these people. That was the biggest load of shit I've ever heard in my life, man. Yeah, and then I, Neil, I think Neil asked a question. He goes, can you expound on the twists and turns? And he just goes, Neil? And then he gives some, ran- he gives some rambling answer that really doesn't make sense or have anything to do with anything. And then he got asked... Uh, I, I just I, he got asked. Um, I'm trying to think what like I'm trying to hit the highlights of this call because it was it was so bizarre. I, I, that's really the only way I can characterize it. It is very really bizarre. It, I, I appreciate everybody on social media that's like, uh, you know, I don't necessarily hate the man, but I hate the process. Well, the man was involved in the process. Like this, don't don't let these people pull the wool over your eyes. He was in on this. He was complicit in this crap show. Uh, he was not just randomly plucked uh, by the IHL and told, hey, we'd like for you to be the chancellor. No, he was complicit in all of this crap. And now he's the chancellor of the University of Mississippi. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you say that, and I don't disagree, but like to underscore that point, is, is, is Chase Parham had a story early like uh from on friday that early on in the process you know one of the people involved in the surge i think it was one of the candidates you know met glenn boyce for the first time they talked about it and then came away thinking this guy wants the job as bad as i do then you know how weird an interview has to be for a person to think that yeah i know exactly and then and i don't even think that was necessarily an interview i think that was just one of the kind of preliminary talks they were having i don't really know it doesn't particularly matter 
But then at the same time, kind of going off what you're saying, you have that coupled with the Campbell McCool thing, which I honestly, I regret the call got cut off short, but I regret not asking about the Campbell McCool video. Yeah. But like you, between that, like there's some, still some people, I had a couple people defending the choice. I mean, it's not, not his fault. They picked him or they didn't know this was going to happen. It's like, man, like how far, how far do you have to have your head dug in the sand to where you have a guy who's just an Oxford guy in the business community. Here's the same rumor that everybody else has for four months. And, outlines what is going to happen a month before it happens exactly the way it happened. <laughs> I don't know how they would have defended that if someone would have asked. No, and good on Campbell McCool. That was some serious hero ball in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, he knew. And he asked that because he knew what was going to happen. Um, I didn't at that time even consider that possibility, but apparently it was very well widespread. Oh yeah, no, that was that was a real thing. Like there was there was a shot that I mean I had heard we we I had heard that a while back. Everyone had heard that a while back. That's how Boyce's name kind of got surfaced. He wasn't an applicant, so when his name is being floated out there for the chancellor thing, that is because of that rumor or that it's not a rumor. It's what was going to happen. That is because of the plan they hatched. Like he wasn't an applicant. So when you start hearing his name is rumbling for chancellor, that's why. Like I just I, to me, it's very cut and dry. Yeah, yeah. So it's, then, uh, it's unfortunate, really, for, for Ole Miss people. They needed Saturday. They needed Ole Miss football team to kick the crap out of somebody because what they uh, what they did to that university on Thursday and Friday was a load of crap, um, to, to put it lightly. Um, so it, it's really unfortunate, you know, how it's done. And, and we can get into this if you want. We don't have to if you don't want to. This, the IHL is not, is not long for Ole Miss, I don't think. I think this goes to a point world Miss makes its own decisions at some point. Yeah, I think that's where this is heading for, well, I say that I've long been skeptical that that's actually ever going to happen, but I guess I'll put it this way. If there's a watershed moment for this there to be it. enough support amongst people that can kind of carry weight and people that can make it happen, it's something like this. Because even if you're someone that is involved with Mississippi State or cares about Mississippi State or puts their allegiance to Mississippi State, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. If you're someone that has is interested in what Mississippi State does, this isn't good for Mississippi State either because it could have just as easily happened to them. It's more about the antiquated and outdated process and the corruption involved amongst the people who carry out the antiquated, antiquated process. Like This isn't really an Ole Miss thing. It's a process thing, and it could have easily happened to any one of the other schools in the state. Did you see the, the tweet about them having hired like six university presidents since 2017 and every single one of them from Mississippi? Yeah. Or like in, inside of the, the realm of education in Mississippi? Yeah. How did that happen? I, man, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, that is, it's not an accident. Like we're, we're 50th in the state in education and we just keep hiring our own. Like at some point, I mean, maybe hire someone qualified to do the job. I don't know crazy idea so anyway that was a really bad look for Ole Miss they were I mean that that I don't know if I agree with that I think it was a bad look for the IHL I don't necessarily think it was a bad look from from an Ole Miss perspective I'm talking I'm just talking about the scene Friday like that's just like there's no way when that gets covered on news from people out out and outside think oh man Ole Miss has really got it figured out it's not their fault but I still think Friday is a bad look I'm not blaming them for it but man that's just kind of a sore spot I'm kind of surprised that didn't go more viral than what it did. Well, that's the thing. What did you think it was going to happen? Like, why not have – if you really wanted to hire this guy and you really wanted to carry out this sham of a process, why not just have a closed thing, let the media in? Like, 
Opening yeah. it to the public is big brand hey, stuff. Yeah. The problem with that would have been you got some real tough questions if you had just opened up a press conference. But they did it over the phone. Like, I guess yeah, you had to I, look him in I, the I eye. Think, I think he was a lot more comfortable over the phone, too. I guess. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I just, there were better ways to do it than that. So, I don't know. Did we miss anything else on that? That's about all I had on it. I know no, we hit a lot no. of it on he, Friday. I think he start next week or so. Which that, Yeah, that's, that's crazy. He starts on the 20, what, 20, no, 14, 15, something like that? I thought I thought it was the 13th, but sure, one of those. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's, it, oh, it's probably. Hey, come on. It, it, never mind. I don't even want to get going. Yeah, so. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, what else happened around college football this weekend? Not, uh, I don't know. Not, nothing really, to be honest. This is a crap week. Dan Mullen, pretty good football coach. Yeah, he's fine. I think uh, Auburn was absolutely atrocious uh, on the offensive side of football. I don't think it's necessarily play calling. I just thought Nick was terrible. That's fine, um, but 16-3, and 16-3 and three in your first year in, well, however many games, year and a half? Yeah, I'm interested. Now, look. That, the, the Auburn win was good. I'm interested to see how they look against Georgia. I don't think you can survive at Florida not winning the SEC East. So at some point, you're going to have to beat Georgia, too, to go along with that. I don't disagree, but I don't know if it necessarily has to come in year two. And no, it doesn't. But at some point, it does No, they're losing this weekend, too. They're losing in, in Baton Rouge. I say that I, I I tend to agree, but I'm not going to know. Like I'm not going to be I'm not going to write him off that quick because that dude knows how to win games with inferior talent. Like that that's just a fact. I mean, what he did at state and what he's doing now, the dude can scheme. Yeah, I mean, I I just I I, I hesitate to think he's going to be the guy that gets Florida back to the top too because I mean, there's just. I, I got to see it to believe it because I do think you have to recruit at a much better level than what he's recruiting at. To win big in this league, yeah, that's fine. But I think they could like to me with Mullen. What's going to be fascinating is there just a baseline level of talent you just get by having Florida on your chest, and can he use that to win with it? Because he used a much lower talent threshold at State and won a lot of games and got him to number one in the country. And if he gets a running quarterback, he's pretty dangerous. Grantham can Grantham's a hell of a defensive coordinator. How long does he keep him? Like is there is there just a minimum threshold? What uh, what do you think the line is in Baton Rouge on Saturday? So I saw initially it was four, and then it opened like yesterday. At some places, it's like thirteen. I don't. It's thirteen. So, yeah, I mean LSU's good. I think that's more of a a testament to how good LSU is. Thirteen. So, but like, can't is there is there a threshold of talent that you just get because you have Florida on your chest that Mullen can work with? Well, and win with? I mean, he got a. a top 10 recruiting class last year and then lost half the class to discipline issues and grades. So, I mean, yeah, I think maybe so, but you've got to recruit the right kids, too. Yeah, that's fair. So, anyway, uh, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot else happening. Uh, I was, Patterson technically won a game. Yeah, they did. That was a uh, that set football back a while. I watched a lot of that game. It was an early game. On purpose? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have anything else going on. <laughs> um... Surely there had to be a better game on somewhere. I don't know, dude. There really wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot of yeah, good games. Yeah, it was a bad day. It was. Uh, Ohio State really good. The best team in the country. Yeah, probably. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of play. This plays out down the stretch. Don't uh, don't give me the SEC crap either. That 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 team is. They would. I think they'd beat Alabama by six or seven right now. Maybe, but the I guess kind of the beauty of the sport is they're not going to play until you know. 
potentially December or January or whatever. So, like, how does Alabama kind of bring these younger defensive players along? I don't know. I mean, there really is six or seven teams you can make an argument for, but it, you haven't always had a always sorts itself out, and I get that. I think there's a real chance we got maybe an undefeated team going into the last weekend with a chance to get left out. Like who? Well, I mean, if all right, let's just say, all right, Georgia Alabama stay undefeated. All right, they play in the SEC championship game. Clemson's undefeated. Oklahoma's undefeated. Ohio State's undefeated. I mean, that's five teams going into that last weekend. I guess just the winner of Georgia Alabama goes, and the loser doesn't. But that's kind of tough. Does a does a twelve and one Georgia team have a better case than a thirteen and zero Clemson team who didn't really beat anybody? Yeah, that's fair. It'll be interesting to see how that. Because the ACC's crap. Yeah, they are. They I mean, the I don't know who the second best team in the ACC is. It might be Virginia. Yeah, I guess it really doesn't. So uh, I didn't. What? Not much else happening elsewhere. Uh, Stanford. That was the most David Shaw win of all time. Yeah, yeah. He, he you know, his job's starting to get on the line. He's, I'm gonna beat Washington now. Dude, with what the limitations he works with, they'd be idiots to fire him. I guess, but I also don't think he's that good of a game day football coach either. I don't know, man. The level that he's won at and has continued to win at with what they would deal with in recruiting. But he's not I mean, continuing to win at it, though. I guess, but I mean, at the same time, you look up at his entire. Let's see. I, I don't. Know. I I think he's done a fine job there. I also don't think he should have been one and four either. Let's see. Eleven and two, twelve and two, eleven and three, eight and five, twelve and two, ten and three, nine and five, nine and four, three and three. So like he's had the three year lull, but like what since when is winning nine games a year at Stanford not good? Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't. I think they've fallen off a little bit talent wise, and and I think if they'd have been two and four, he'd have been in a little bit of a pickle there. But they beat Washington, and it's no longer a discussion. Also, Chris Peterson, what are we doing, bud? Yeah, that's uh, they were kind of a team that you thought maybe could kind of be a two-headed monster with Oregon as far as, like, does the Pac-12 get a team in? You kind of let he them run sucks. out. I don't think they're getting – Pac-12's not getting a team in. I think Oregon's good. Like, if, they, if they're if they at the end of the year and their only blemish is to Auburn, then maybe they'll have a conversation. But the Pac-12's in a tough spot. Yeah, Easton sucks a lot. So that, that, that's kind of set Washington back. Yeah, I wonder how that plays out at the rest of the year and if he improves and kind of gets more comfortable. Because he does, I think he has at least one more year of eligibility. He does, yeah. So that'll be kind of interesting because he is a talented kid and he did some nice stuff at Georgia. So does that ever finally click for him? I don't know. It'll be kind of interesting to see. That was really about it from the college football landscape. NFL yesterday was weird. He had 10 early games, two late games. I uh, Just kind of hit the highlights. Um, that was a huge win for the Packers. Um, yeah, yeah, Dallas, not good. Not good right now. No, that offense, once they kind of found a – started playing competent defenses, Kellen Moore doesn't really look as kind of in control as he does. Dak Prescott's been okay. I would say not great. Like, people were – like, I saw people – like, of course, you know, hot take internet culture has kind of robbed any nuance from any sort of discussion. I don't think Dak Prescott is losing any more money than he was two weeks ago. Like, I don't think it's a week-to-week thing. I don't think he's playing very well. No, I think he's playing okay. That offensive line, for as much as they pay those guys, are not playing well either. No, that's certainly fair. So that's certainly fair. I don't know. I think Dallas is still a playoff team. I think they'll be fine. I, to me, that I don't was, know if they win that division now, though. No, and there hasn't been a repeat winner in like since like the nineties, and I think 
Philadelphia looks really, really good, and Wentz is, you know, they've kind of got that thing rolling. Um, That's only a game back. Yep, yep. That was the Titans' uh, most Titans loss of all time, plus three at home. Yeah, they're just that's who they are. Good for Buffalo, man. I think they're going to be a wild card team. Um, yeah, yeah, they're going to be four. They're four and one. Uh, they play really good defense. They're not going to be able to win anything in the playoffs because you can't win in the playoffs scoring fourteen points. But they're going to make it. Yeah, I mean, you get to the playoffs with the second year quarterback. That's a really good milestone. Sure. sure. Um, now that he doesn't actually do anything, but yeah. No, but he does. I, I disagree with that in some senses. When the pocket breaks down, he does stuff outside the pocket that there are only a handful of quarterbacks in the NFL capable of doing. Oh, he's extremely athletic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's some things you can't do. So, like, the ability to extend plays, particularly in today's NFL, is huge with the way the quarterback's officiated and the way they're calling deep defensive pass interference. Like, that's to me, that's huge, and not a, lot, a whole lot of guys can do that. Um, trying to think what else. Saints. Teddy Bridgewater, that was cool to see. He kind of threw what he threw four touchdown passes. Um, good on him. That's a cool story. I uh, they're going to win the NFC with kind of ease, aren't they? The NFC? I don't know. I mean, one of those teams in the NFC West seems really, really good. Um, then there's a dude in Carolina that just kind of keeps winning, and I don't really yeah, know don't what they do when Cam sure. comes back. He's good. Yeah, yeah, he is. So is Minshew. That like to me, that didn't change anything about Minshew yesterday. They just kind of lost the game. But Minshew's good. Like, what does that look like when Nick Foles comes back? What does it look like when Cam comes back? I don't know. I think San Francisco's pretty good. I think Seattle's really good. I still think the Rams are pretty good. Um, I don't know much about the NFC North. I mean, I'm not counting Aaron Rodgers out with the way they're playing right now. So, yeah, that. What else was? I mean, it was really not. Too much of an eventful day in the NFL. Redskins are awful. Uh, the Jets. Oh, Jay Gruden got fired this morning. He did. Yep, five o'clock this morning he got fired. Yeah, that's just. I think he's a good football coach coaching a very incompetent organization. Um, I mean, hell, Colt McCoy was playing quarterback for him yesterday because he was the best option, not the only one. Um, so I think he'll land on his feet. I think that's one of the worst run organizations in sports. Dan Snyder's an atrocity. Yeah, no, they absolutely that 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 that, can't, that organization can't get out of its own way. I think Jay Gruden can coach football. Okay, I'd be interested to see him in an organization that where he kind of has autonomy and doesn't have that kind of like the owner kind of breathes down your neck at that place, but in complete secrecy. Like, do you even know what Dan Snyder looks like? I don't. I I don't. That's a good point. So anyway, um, that's really about it. We got an interesting Monday night game tonight um, between the Browns and the Niners. We got four playoff games, bud. Uh, yeah, you do have baseball games all day, too. That's been kind of interesting. A lot of stuff to get to this time of year. Uh, I guess initial impressions real quick before we get out of here with baseball. Uh, Houston, real good. Yankees, real good. Uh, Dodgers won a must-win game last night because I think they lose tonight. I think Atlanta finishes it off today. I think Atlanta's going to win out the NLDS today. What a moment for Swanson and Adam Duvall yesterday and really that whole franchise. I kind of don't like Carlos Martinez, like, at all. So that was funny. Well, respect him because he's a veteran. Yeah, yeah. Did you see him blowing kisses yesterday before he gave up a, a game-tying double? I don't believe that. He respects the game too much. Yeah, well, uh, the, the cameras disagree. So Then he hit a, uh, he pitched me off when he hit Acuna with a 98-mile-hour fastball. That probably doesn't feel very good. Yeah, that, that that's not a great look. Um, so, anyway, I uh, they're in uh, – in a whole lot of, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what is? 
I mean, it seems that these series don't really have a ton of intrigue. I guess if Washington wins tonight and takes it to a game five, you never really know. I think they do, though. Yeah, I think they do, too. I think the Braves probably finish it off tonight as well. The Rays are... Michael going on short rest. Uh, they just announced that. I think Dakota Hudson that fits the state. Oh, that'll be interesting. I think the Rays and the Twins are done. I do, too, but I think the Rays win today. I think they push it to another game. Um, yeah, I, I don't d- think the Twins do. I do as well. Um, so we got that going on. So tons of playoff baseball today. That'll be interesting to get to. I'm sure we'll have more of that on Wednesday's show. I'll have a Missouri writer on. Um, probably Peter Ball from The Athletic, if I had to venture. So I'll kind of get that set up for this week. Should be a really interesting game for Ole Miss. Really interesting to, to watch the quarterback situation play out. Do we miss anything? No. Nah, that, that, I mean, not to come to the forefront of my mind. Uh, anything interesting happening this weekend? Like, I didn't really do anything. I did nothing and watched football yesterday and wrote some. And then, of course, yeah, I went to I went to the Ole Miss's game. Uh, that was like the first game I've seen them win in three years. So, the crowd turned uh, out better so, than hey, I thought I it was going to be. That was a decent crowd. That was a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I thought the crowd was better than I thought it was going to be. Pretty good student section. The rest of the stadium filled in okay. It doesn't help when Vanderbilt brings two hundred people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. I thought it was. A, I thought that was going to be a shockingly bad crowd where you kind of write about how no one cares, but it really was. It was fine. I, it, that was a that was a surprising crowd to me. So that's a good sign for Matt Luke in that program. Um, but unless you got anything else, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, go to LB's. It is on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Greg's got the meats. Go get some steaks, sausages, seafood. He's got all kinds of custom cuts. Uh, maybe go get some jalapeno poppers, maybe some mushrooms. Not the best grilling weather today, but it's grilling season. The weather's starting to get a little cooler. Go see Greg to see what you want to throw on the grill. He's got all kinds of great stuff. LB's is where it's at. It's the only place to get good meat in Oxford. You should definitely go because anywhere else is inferior. So go see Greg at LB's. He has the meats. Uh, anything else? No, we got that's about it. We'll do part one of our LBs pick them on Wednesday and part two on Friday. I'll give you till Wednesday to get the results from last weekend. I'll put you in charge of that because you had it last okay. week. So we'll go through the results on Wednesday before we do part one of the LBs pick them Wednesday. Of course, the meat of the LBs pick them will be on Friday. But unless you got anything else, I'm going to head to this Monday presser. Sounds good. All right, for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thank you guys for listening. We'll have an intro if we get to a thousand listens. So tell all your friends about how awesome this is. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give us four or five stars. Say whatever you want in the comments. But thank you. This is continuing to grow. We appreciate you guys listening. So for Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Ribby. We will see you guys on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.